What up, folks? And welcome to another episode of In the Area Podcast. Your weekly source for wisdom nuggets. In today's interview, we sit down with Joel Shalhorn. Joel is a professional BMX biker and stuntman. Joel and I recorded this episode in Vail, Colorado. In the Area Podcast is free and runs off listeners like you. If you'd like to support the podcast, please consider subscribing to us on Apple Music, Spotify, and any other app that streams podcasts. Enjoy today's episode. So Joel, I first met you in Lion's Head, in Vail. You were riding this pink bike, doing the craziest tricks I've ever seen on a bike. Literally, the bike was upside down. You were over the front wheel, riding it almost like a unicycle. And I I was like, I'm going to go talk to this person. So I went up to you. I learned very quickly on that you weren't just a flatlander, which is a type of biking that you you might get into, but you're also a stuntman. You've worked in multiple countries as a professional stuntman. Can you tell us what the conversation was like with the company that was putting on the BMX shows? And then one day they call me and like, hey, uh, would you want to go to China and be a stuntman? And uh, we'll teach you everything and fly you over there. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like, of course. This sounds awesome. That's so much better than what I'm doing right now. And uh, so uh, I had never left the country. And I go to Dalian, China for eight months for my first time abroad. And like in my mind, I remember I psyched it up to be like so crazy, so different. Like I really like psyched myself up and uh, not in a bad way, just like to be ready for like, this can be a huge cultural shift, you know, right? going to. Totally different. Yeah. And when I get there and I, I didn't have any like culture shock, I think I was just so pumped and ready. I'm like, yeah, bring it. Like whatever you got. This is little, it was a little comedy stunt show called the black eyed thieves. And uh, I, it was just like slapstick comedy. Like it was the, in, but stunts at the same time. So like crashing motorcycles, drifting cars, like zip lines, high falls from like 40 feet into a pad. Um, wow. <laughs> it, it was, it was wacky. But, would you uh, do it all or would you just do like the, the biking portion? Um, well, there was no BMX in it. So I brought my bike. I always would bring my bike with me on my contracts because I'm a biker. Like, that's what I do in my free time. Like, I, that's kind of like my default setting. Like, I'm bored. I'm going to go ride my bike. So I brought it with me, but the show had nothing to do with BMX. So I had to learn completely new skills. So I started out in this uh, in one role that basically I just had to do like this. It's called a slide for life, like a fancy zip line where you control the speed with this trolley. Mm. And you pull down one hand and there's like a brake in it it'll mm. slow you down so i had to do that and there's like a high fall through an awning like i'd get shot go over a railing through an awning but get shot a, out of what no someone would shoot me oh someone would like <laughs> pretend to shoot me there's sound effects and uh then i'd like go over the railing through the awning Damn. into a pad like that's like sunk into the concrete wow there's one rule i really wanted to do which was like the craziest stunt in the show which is where you crash a motorcycle through fire and it's just, it's the grand finale stunt. And I always thought that's so cool, but like, I have no business on a motorcycle. I've never been on a motorcycle. So my boss was like, okay, if you learn this role, I'll let you do it. I'm like, okay. Okay. So I learned all, I learned every other preliminary role in the show. And then he's like, okay, um, you'll work with the bikers and they'll train wow. you um, on just how to operate a motorcycle and just how to ride it. I was getting the hang of it. No problem. And then uh, time for actually like learning how to do 
the stunt itself, the bike slide, which is a totally different bike. Um, it's set up um, for this stunt. It has a metal plate on the left side with ball bearings on it. So that when it crashes, it'll slide and kind of roll like pretty far and to keep it from getting damaged. So you can reuse the same bike mm. for, of course, the entire contract. I remember just doing laps one day after work. It was training with the boss and team captain and a few other people doing laps and my boss was like okay joel when you're ready pull down your uh, visor and your helmet and then we know you're ready to do it now what i'm wearing before i go any farther like i'm wearing a full bot leather bodysuit and then another pair of leather pants and then inside the leather pants there's like a molded plastic like pad, shell pad shell with a pad on it to like protect you. Wow. So when you fall, and then on the uh, outside of the outer pants, they're, they're sewn on are these bubbles that they use for like GP racing on people's knees. You know, when they're like leaning over on the bikes and nearly sliding their knees. It's like those, but the sewn all over the butt, um, a vest or a, a ja another leather jacket, um, a balaclava mask and gloves, and then a helmet. And then in the actual stunt, there's a patch of gas, patch, like one square foot that's been soaking gasoline that's snapped on your back. So then when you go through the fire, get lit on fire. But I wasn't there yet with uh, training. But I remember him saying, okay, when you're ready to go, pull down the visor, and then we know you're going to go for the actual stunt. Fuck. And I remember being in the back, like just sitting on the motorcycle, just waiting and kind of contemplating everything and thinking, okay, I have trained for this. Um, like I know my body can do this 100%. But my mind is like, you know, for uh, self-preservation, this is a terrible idea. <sighs> but so I had to like kind of block the logical side of my mind out. And I remember thinking, I accept the consequences of what I'm about to do. And just like blocked out my mind. Just like, just do your, rely on your training. You got to fully commit. Because like, if you don't commit to things, that's how you can get hurt more. And I just like went for it and laid down the bike and slid. And I was just so hyped. Like, oh my gosh, what? it was a terrifying moment. But then the first time I did it, I was like, okay, it's not that bad. Whoa. And then I got to do it more and more. And, um, and I, did, I think I did that stunt in the very, for the very last show of that contract. And uh, in the end, I learned like nine out of 11 roles in that show, which I was very proud of for my first contract, but I had a lot of mistakes. Like I made a lot of stupid mistakes throughout the contract. So I learned a lot of things the hard way. You finished that contract. You had done nine out of the 11 stunts. You did, you, you got the stunt bug. Like you wanted to. Yes. Right. Oh, absolutely. Well, after that eight months, I was like, oh. after eight months in China, I was just like, I am, I'm ready to go home. I was like, kind of done. I think I was like, I was done. And uh, I go home and then I'm home for like a few weeks. And I'm like, this is boring. <laughs> So I want to go back and do that kind of stuff. And then so, uh, yeah, I hit up the company again. I was like, hey, can, can you do another contract? Is there something else I can do? And then so then they gave me an offer to go to another city, Tianjin, which is the major port city to Beijing, like right in that area. Tianjin is so big, it's actually its own province, like a state. So the, there's a Tianjin province, and it's also mm -hmm. a city. Like it's massive wow um and so i went there and that was a more water-based show so my last show uh first one was a land base so this one's water-based and so there's fan boats uh 
sit down jet skis, stand up jet skis. There's this crazy thing called a jet evader at the time, which is like a hydro flight vehicle. Um, hydro flight vehicle is basically <clears throat> something, an apparatus attached to a hose that the hose is attached to a jet ski. And all the power of the jet ski is funneled through the hose into what you're riding on. So then you can fly in the air <laughs> on this water powered vehicle. <laughs> and so that was pretty cool. And then this other thing I got to play with is called a sea breacher. Um, which is, uh, I know there's a bunch of videos that went viral about them on the internet. It's like a jet ski that looks like a shark or a dolphin and it encloses. What? And then you can submerge it and like basically glide underwater and like maneuver around and then what? jump jump in the air. And uh, there's like a snorkel like on it. So then when you're underwater, air can still come in to the what? engine and feed the engine. So theoretically, if it's a really good one, which that one was not that good by the time I got to play with it, like you can just stay submerged. And wow. um, <clears throat> so I got to play with that and the Jetivator a lot in that contract, which I thought was hilarious. That, uh, <laughs> they let me put on, like play with those because it's like, dude, I've never really been, done shit like this at all in my life. And you guys are going to do it. And because a lot of these shows, they typecast. Meaning, like, they want certain characters to look a certain way. It's very common. And uh, I remember when I got the phone call about them, we're like, yeah, uh, you have a, a heroic look, so we think you'd be good for the good main good guy. Fuck yeah. yeah. I was <laughs> like, cool, I'm down with that. A heroic <laughs> look, man, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. We, it's, it's good and bad because I actually prefer playing bad guys. Oh, Interesting. We can talk about that later. Yeah. Because there's other contracts I did where I did more bad guys. But um, yeah, I thought it was just kind of funny that they let me do this stuff. And I look back at the footage of that show in Tianjin and was like, man, I performed horribly. But uh, that show got abruptly ended. Um, there was a massive chemical explosion. It made, a, uh, it made world news because I had people like, hitting me up on Facebook and stuff in the time. But uh, it was, like I think, August 12th or something. Like, at chemical explosion at In, in the- Tianjin. Not, no, uh, in, near where I live. Like about three miles away from where I live, my home in Tianjin. And not at the park itself. But uh, I remember, yeah, it was like 1130 at night, August 12th, 2015. I was watching the movie Gladiator uh, with my girlfriend at the time. And I've not watched that movie since then, actually. Really? Yeah. Uh, but we we're, were just watching the movie, and I look out my window, and I see the sky is orange. I'm like, well, that's not normal. So I look out, I get up, and I look, and I just see this fire, like this mushroom cloud, like the fire just erupt into the sky. And uh, I was just like, holy fuck. And then she gets up, and she looks, and she, like, a few seconds later, the secondary explosion goes off, which fully engulfs the first one. And there's fire debris raining down on the city. And uh, then the shock, the shock wave hits our apartment and Holy everything starts shaking. Shit. And at that point, all my other roommates wake up and they're like, what's going on? I'm like, there's a massive fucking explosion outside. And um, uh, we, we didn't know what to do. Everyone's hitting, hitting each other up. Like, cause there's some, like the, all the girls in the team lived closer like maybe oh all, maybe close to a mile closer to the explore so the scary. explosion was, and yeah, it was terrifying. And um, mostly because I didn't know what it was. Like no one knew what it was. Like, I've never seen an explosion like that in my life. Um, I thought we were under attack. Like I thought someone was attacking China. 
uh, it did not look like something normal. Um, and I was thinking like, if you're gonna attack a country, take out their major port city, Tianjin is the major port city of the North. We're under a fucking attack right now. It's like, what the hell can we do? Like, I, like what if this building collapses? I shouldn't be inside. But if I go outside, another explosion happens. I could be like obliterated if it's closer. Like I never felt like so helpless in my life. I had no one had any clue what was going on. So then people that live closer, they had to come to where we were, our other apartments. And then we worked for a few days after that. And then they pretty much stopped the, uh, the show for like a few weeks for the remainder of the month. And then the beginning of September, they told us, they're like, yeah, we're, uh, we're shutting down the show and for until next April. And I'm like, damn. Um, so I got sent home and I didn't have much because I sold my car to stay, to go over to Tianjin to have money when I first got there. Um, cause you get paid once a month a lot of times in those contracts. So I needed some money and I assumed I was going to be staying there for a while. I was like, yeah, this is going to be my home. This is a, they have year round shows. Hmm. So, uh, I was like, yeah, I'd like to stay here. This is fun. This is a cool lifestyle. Is it enough money to sustain like a long-term yeah. lifestyle? Or? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like it's, yeah, totally. And especially the more you learn, like the, more the higher you, level, right? Yeah. The more you make, right? Yeah. And, uh, like I wasn't making that good of money, but I was like, I, at least I have my housing paid for. I get money to go play on cool boats. <laughs> like, so, and I can go ride my bike whenever I want. And the cool thing about like Asia in general is, man, for the, the spots that I had to go ride, there were just, there's so many of them. It was very flatland friendly everywhere I was at. So there was, I never exhausted places to ride, things to go do in that sense. But yeah, uh, anyways, back to the story. I went back home and within, 24 hours of being back in the United States, I lost my wallet with $400 cash and I was staying on the, my buddy's floor. So uh, I had like nothing. I had my bike, a cool camera, and a few clothes <laughs> sleeping on my buddy's floor. And uh, it's just shit situation. Uh, I made most of it. Uh, I did ride my bike a lot. And uh, that actually, I think the explosion, I, I think kind of started a kind of a point of massive progression for me. Like a lot of my favorite tricks I pretty much created or learned during that time. Mm. So it was kind of cool. But uh, then also I managed to get another, I managed to get a job as at a, at a school as a teacher. And so I was working full time. Then I got a place to stay. So I worked myself like back into normal realm of living back in America. And uh, then I went to another contract in China, in Guangzhou, China, in Southern, near Hong Kong. And uh, I get there and what, second day on set, they need me to go in the show to do the bike slide. Because one of the guys there, this Australian guy, his dad had a heart attack, so he had to go back home. Like, um, you know, medical emergency, it's got to go be a family. And they're like, Joel, we saw that you had uh, the bike slide in your, sh in your show reel. Can you do it? I'm like, I haven't done it in like two years, but I mean, if, can I practice it? And they're like, yeah, of course. <laughs> so I practiced it and I got it and they just put me in the show. So my second day there, I was in the show doing the bike slide wow. school. And that was an awesome contract. At one point, that show is Crisis Zone Stunt Show. Um, it was the largest stunt show in the world because it's water and land base. How many people are watching these shows? Uh, it depends. That auditorium could hold up to 
4,000 people. Wow. It was huge. Um, uh, uh, Chimelong Paradise was the uh, theme park. And like right when you enter, like our, the stunt arena, as it was said, it was like right there. But this show was like huge. Um, there was like a, just a massive structure of a set, a huge pool with all kinds of ramps to take jet skis off of and a large land area for cars and motorcycles and whatnot. And the motorcycles could drive up behind the people in the audience and drive through them in one area. So like it was a really like comprehensive show. And I had, I stayed there for a year and a half, um, pretty much through all of 2016 and through, uh, um, most of 2017. And I learned once again, there, I kind of went at it as like, this is a great training facility. And, uh, I'm going to learn as much as I can. And my goal was to learn jet skiing, the stand-up jet skis, like with the handlebars that go up and down. And uh, because one of the major shows I wanted to get into was uh, with Universal Studios, uh, The Waterworld, based off of the Kevin Costner movie from 1996. But they, you need to know, you need to know your shit if you're going to work for them. So I was like, I'm going to go at it. I'm going to train. So I trained a lot. I learned all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, like the ramp, taking jet skis off ramps is fun. Like they they were reinforced with fiberglass, so they could just take the hits mm. and just fucking send in that shit. So we'd we'd spend hours after work just playing on jet skis, and it's like because wow. we had like the park would just give us gas. So we had like <laughs> unlimited gas to go play on jet skis as much as we want. Damn. So it's like take full advantage when you're in a situation like that and learn cool shit. So I did, and uh, I was really determined to get Waterworld. So uh, <laughs> I, I lied to the park and told them I wanted to go home to see my family because I wanted to keep it kind of like DL, that, you know, what my uh, goals were. I've always been kind of like keep it keep, keep it to myself, you know. Until it happens. It hasn't happened until it happened. Exactly. So I told them, I was like, hey, it's my mom's birthday. I'd like to go home. Da, da. I, but in reality, I wanted to go to an audition. So uh, I flew from Guangzhou to Los Angeles, and um, it was great. It's crazy when I get to Los Angeles and get out of the airplane. I'm like, ah, fresh air, <sighs> like clean air, which LA does not really have clean air. <laughs> but compared to where but, you but were compared coming. to where I was, I was like, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, the jet lag was such a bitch, and I was only there for four days. Wow. So like the day of the audition, I wake up at like two thirty in the morning. I'm like wide awake. I'm like, great, this sucks. And I was awake the whole Fuck. time, the whole like that whole night, and then I go to the Damn. audition, and it was like a two day thing, and um, uh, they were just impressed that I came all the way from China. For the job, like what and, do they have? What kind of stuff are you doing for a you know stuntman position? Like, um, how do you audition for that? First, I think they had a fitness test, which was like a circuit. Like, uh, you do five different workouts um, with a minute break in between, and each work each workout is a minute long. So it's like you had to do shuttle runs for a minute, but each time you get to the end, you got to go all the way down to the ground, then pull ups for a minute as many as you can. And then when you can't do any more, you hang for the rest of the minute. Burpees, uh, planks, and then kind of stepping up on a box as well. Um, and then what, if you make it through that, there's a fight, uh, like fighting. So you gotta, you pair up with someone and then you, you're getting taught a, some fight choreography. And then you gotta perform that fight choreography in front of everyone with your partner. How many people are 
trying out and how many people are judging? I think there's like only four or five people judging, but like, I don't know, at least 20, 30 people there, like that were auditioning, probably, probably more. Cause they can't, they brought us into this area in groups. And so I, I forget how many people were at that initial audition. And then there was like leap reading some lines after that. And, um, when they realized, well, I, t- I told them like where I was living and whatnot. So um, I didn't make it through to the end of that one, but uh, they were like, yeah, we, you definitely, like, you have the look we want for Mariner and uh, um, you got the skills, uh, but we just can't take you right now because you're in a contract. I'm like, I'm totally understand, but I got their contact information and keep in touch with them. So then I went back to Guangzhou Jet lag was horrible. Four days in LA and then back to China. Um, And then I came back with just like fire. Like, okay, I got to get a lot better at jet skiing. And I got to, I want to just be better at fighting. Um, So I just like went at it. So I really, I I learned the the main good guy role of that show, which is, it was a cool role because you get to play, you get to use every major vehicle, cars, a sit down jet skis, stand up jet skis, motorcycles. And so you got to do it all, like chase scenes with all of them. So, but it wasn't much of an acting role per se, and not much else going on. You just get to play with the cool toys, um, which that's kind of what is the difference between like bad guys. Bad guys, the acting is a lot more fun. Good guy, you can only act so good, you know? Like, what, come out with a kitten or something? Like, how good can you really be? But a bad guy, you can just get in the audience's faces and just be mean, menacing, just scare people. And I played the main bad guy all the time and uh, for for quite a while. And I actually took that costume home with me. I, I wow. returned another one. It's because it's such a cool costume. Wore it for a long time. It's all tattered. I wore it the other day for Halloween. It was great. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, I just like that there's no depth to how mean or evil you can be as a bad guy. Mm. And so that, I feel like there's more, much more creative reign in a bad guy in that sense. To perform it in front of a show like yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. And it's just, it's amazing like what props or a costume can do. Because you put on a costume, it's like, and you're in the correct venue, it's like, I, could, I feel like I can just totally transform and just like become this person. And, uh, oh man. That was just I, I love I love bad guys and they're, they're still my favorite and um, oh. uh, but yeah I spent anyways spent all the time like learning that role and then the main show captain uh, who's the only other guy that could play the bad guy he got hurt like he uh, tried to jump over a railing in a show during the rain dropped eight feet to the concrete broke his wrist and his hip and needed surgery on both so then I was then just stuck doing the bad guy for the nearly the remainder of my contract and which was a bummer because i wanted that show jet ski practice um but i got to play the main bad guy which is still great um then someone else came someone else learned the bad guy so then i got to go back how long are these performances like 20 minutes it's like a 20 minute show wow maybe a little bit more and then how many performances would you do a day really depending on the season like they loved halloween (laughs) halloween's like one of their favorite holidays. Wow. Um, so it's like a month long celebration and they de- decorate the park extravagantly. But, uh, so what is like do three, four shows, four shows, usually four shows uh, during that like month long season. Wow. It's like four shows and the last shows were at night, which was really cool. Cause then they had lights on like the jet skis in the car. Like you'd flip a switch and it's like these little lights lining them. <laughs> it's crazy. Dude. Like the vehicles we had were so much fun. Uh, so I got at least a little bit of practice and then I got to go home. I went home with the purpose to like, I want to get that 
job at Waterworld. And I also auditioned for Marvel Universe Live um, stunt show and, and as well as the uh, Universal Studios Japan um, specifically. Um, and I got both those contracts like at the same Within two days apart, they both sent me contracts so that wow. I had to decide which one I wanted to do. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go to Japan because that's the one I feel like I've been training for the most. Like Marvel probably like gave like the better deal overall, but I was like, I feel like I'd probably be more bored with that. So yeah, I went over to Japan and that that show was like incredibly fun. Uh the set was so intricate and like out the every detail was accounted for. The, the costumes were the same. Like my costume, the vest was made of real fish skin. Like, cause you're the Mariners, a post-apocalyptic world. Where are you going to make clothes? Well, fish. And so like, it was just so intricate how they did things. And the girls in that show had to actually learn how to speak all their lines in Japanese without an accent. So they spent like months in like voice lessons and uh, language lessons to learn how to speak the show in Japanese, wow. which is incredible. Like I gave all of them props for being able to do that because that would be crazy. And uh, but yeah, that was a great show. I played like yeah Kevin Costner's character, the Mariner, and it's just like that show is like physically the most exhausting show I've ever done. Um, like. It's like a full-on sprint. As soon as you come in on the jet ski, it's like you're going around. There's five different fight scenes. I have to do – there's two different high dives. I have to do this ascender counterweight where I go flying up out of the water and then engage in a fight. And you're climbing up what? ladders all over the place. Yeah, by the end of every show, you're just like, oh, exhausted. Like, But Fuck. it was a great experience. Um, uh Japan's fun. It's an awesome country. So it was, I was, it was nice to get an experience of something else other than China. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I had a great time there. Um, since the story about the disaster in Tianjin, we had in Osaka, we got a direct hit from the largest uh, typhoon to hit in like 20 years or something. And we wow. got a direct hit. And uh I have videos on my old phone, like looking out my window when this thing hit, it hit at like 3 p.m. And just horizontal water just flying in the air. And there's like a Ferris wheel, like on the island where I lived. And uh, it was spinning like a bicycle wheel. I'd never seen anything like that. Uh, and like I saw a roof get like ripped off. Uh, just crazy, Damn. crazy like destruction going on. And then afterwards, me and a buddy um, – took our cameras out and we wanted to go like survey the damage and walk around and like see like what's happened. And there was like barges that were lifted onto the seawalls and stuff. They had to shut, they shut down the park for two days um, because of that. Um, that was pretty wild to see. Like at first, I was so, everyone was like so excited at first. Like, oh man, big typhoon. They've shut down the park ahead of time for this because they knew it was coming. And I remember sitting in my room watching it like, yeah, this is sick. And then after a while, I'm like, no. This can stop now. Like this is, this is pretty wild. I've never seen weather like that in my life. What is it? Can you explain what a typhoon? It's basically a hurricane in Asia, just a different name, wow. as far as I understand. So uh, that was a crazy, wild, wild experience. Wow. So, what are the, what do you think are the biggest lessons that you've learned from doing stunt shows? Something that I've uh, truly like, truly love, which I feel like I was kind of hinted at it in my education as a teacher 
is the reciprocity between skills, such as, you know, when you're teaching language lessons, like reading, reading, speaking, and writing are all interrelated inter, uh, skills. So the more you read, the better you're going to be at writing and at speaking and, you know, vice versa with all of them. And I feel like the same is very, very much so with physical abilities. So, because of pretty much through my stunt career, I've had to learn a variety of different skills and then kind of interlink them or like take something from one, like, okay, I, I'm like, I remember thinking, comparing stand up jet skiing to my bike. And I was kind of taking those skills and bringing it from here, like to the next and kind of seeing where things like relate and how I can transfer over the knowledge that I have to something new to help me learn it better and more efficiently. Um, so I always thought that was uh, really a cool experience with that. And like, just for that reason, when I came home from my last contract last year, I wanted to get a lot better at snow skiing. I was a snowboarder. I started out as a snowboarder, but I wanted to get better at skiing because I figured it could help me be better at water skiing. Because in the last contract, I did learn how to water ski. Mm. And um, and it was fun. And I got to go off some ramps and, and whatnot. But uh so th they do translate when you have one skill that you're working on for one thing. Yeah. Like, let's say it's skateboarding. It will improve your snowboarding. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was talking to one of my coworkers today. He was saying someone he knows, like they were a skateboarder for a long time and then they get on a snowboard and they, that same year they were like doing backflips mm -hmm. on the snowboards because they were really, really good skateboarder before. It's like they translate, things translate over. And so some things I could, you know, Pick, pick up quicker because of that. Um, I think a good example is like my, the giraffe unicycle that I have. Like it looks daunting. Like it's, it's up to, that's up, up to my neck. But if you can ride a normal unicycle and do that proficiently, you just getting on that thing. Well, getting on it is another one thing itself. But once you're on it and riding around quickly realize it's not that hard. You just have to have that base preliminary skill um, in order to do it. Mm. And then uh, I think another thing that I've really come to appreciate is just, well, just traveling and experience and how people live their lives and, and other parts of the world and being able to appreciate home in Colorado and America in general. For a while, like, I feel like I was got kind of sour, like being in America, being in China, then looking at like things that were going on in America and how people were acting. It was just like, it's ridiculous. Like it's frivolous. Like in a, probably my thing that really aggravated me in my first year was uh, the, the ice bucket challenge thing that was going on. And like, there's droughts going on in California and people still think it's cool to like do that kind of thing. And while I'm in China, they had to shut down the water to our city for like uh, a day or two to clean the whole system. So we had to fill buckets of water at our homes and on our sets. So if we wanted to flush toilets, wash our hands, do our dishes. So at, our, at that point in time, water was a precious commodity. But then back in America, people are just dumping it all over themselves during droughts and whatnot. And I was like, that's ridiculous. Like there's, and there's, I know that like there's people out there that don't even have access to like clean or running water. So things like that just kind of like, kind of made me sour after a while. And then after Guangzhou, a year and a half there, at that point, that was like my fourth year um, abroad. Um, I just had a lot of bad personal crap happen to me over there. It was very frustrating. Like I learned a lot, and but just I was when I came home, I was ready to come home, and I I was just 
like pissed at China and everything because it's it's a crazy place to be. And when I got home, I just had a whole different appreciation appreciation for it. My dad picked me up in Chicago, and we're driving back to Indiana, and I'm looking out my window and I see nothing, just black, nothing. And I realized I hadn't seen just nothing in a very, very long time. Like it was just a cornfield, but at night you can't, there's no lights. And I, cause I was trapped in like these mega cities over in Asia for so long. And so, and then coming back to my hometown of Elkhart, Indiana and in the summertime. And I was like, this is a wonderful place. Like what a, what a great place. I got to go to Lake Michigan, go swimming, check out the sand dunes. I was like, oh, I was so, so happy like to be home. And I just had a whole different and rejuvenated like appreciation for you know being home joel did fucking crazy life so far and it sounds like it's uh it's unfolding still so it definitely is yeah like, i've just lived like a you know, very nomadic lifestyle which has its good pros and cons you know i love it but yeah eventually some point i want to get like settled in have a home in america and just kind of do something. <laughs> yeah. for, for now, you're going to continue to explore. Yeah, it's gonna, just, but then, you know. yeah, that lifestyle is intoxicating. Right. Like, going over there, here, here's, here's money, have some fun. Wow. <laughs> well, where, where can people check out your videos? Um, I have a YouTube. I haven't been nearly as active on that lately. And Instagram, they're both, the handle is Biking Dervish. Yeah, I uh, haven't been as active. I really took a break from a lot of that when I came home from China. I was just like, I want to totally. like step back and like just do the ski bum thing and just like live my life. Fuck yeah, man. You know? um, I didn't like the day you saw me. I was actually probably the first proper session on my bike since China. Wow. Like, like I just, I went after like everything that went down um, in Tianjin that second time. I once again used my bike as my de-stress mechanism. Like I was crazy stressed out, so I'd go out and ride and uh, with music. Well, yeah, oftentimes with music. Uh, yeah, pretty much most of the time, like with music. But uh, I would I start a video project. Like it was in I started it in Japan and it kind of crossed over into China, and that kind of took precedence in terms of my, my riding. And I started not going out to ride for the pleasure of it, but like, all right, I need to film this trick. And so it became more mechanical and like, I wasn't like having as much fun with it, but it's like, I need to do this trick. I've never done this one. It needs to be done. Like I need to do it, document it for this like video. Cause I wanted this video to kind of be like a, uh, all encompassing, um, all the different styles I've learned over the years and uh, all into one video. So just a, a spectrum of styles and tricks and also with different filming locations and China has some dramatic backgrounds. So yeah, that pro whole video project took 10 months. And then when I was done with it, I was just like, I, I'm done with my bike for right now. Like I'm ready to go home and just put it away and go play in the snow. And like, that's what I did. And I just put it in sto my storage in Denver, just came out to the mountains and just was here. And just, but I put like all of my focus, my BMX focus into skiing. So I wanted to get like as good as that as I could. I progressed a lot over the season. Um, but yeah, I just and I just couldn't like I was just kind of like burnt out for a bit. Like I just needed some time away. And I built up a dirt jumper, like a one though I told you that I got a crash. Tweaked on that. Yeah. So uh 
I've been, I played with that bike more. I love bikes. I would always have bikes. I had five bikes in my apartment in my, over summer. Like I had to put them all away because it was like, it's getting ridiculous and more people are going to move in. Wow. So, um, but, uh, yeah, that one day I went over to Vail and was just like, and I found that spot where they put the ice skating rink in at Lion's Head. And I was like, that spot was like perfect. And, uh, I just was jamming out because I said earlier how, China and Asia offers just like the best riding spots, flat, smooth, not too grippy. I feel like that's really hard to find overall everywhere I've been in the States, at least. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's just not as user-friendly for Flatland. Um, so like when I found that spot, I was like, oh my gosh, I can like bust out a lot of my old really fun tricks again. And so I just went at it. And like, I, that was a great session. And then like, yeah, you popped over and wow. came over to talk to me. Good yeah. to be, bro. Yeah, oh. yeah, totally. Oh. I wanted to go back to that spot, but I crashed, and I couldn't ride for like weeks. So I really caught you up. You caught me at a good rare. time because it was the very next day. I just screwed my body up. So, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, if I go back to Asia, I'm definitely bringing my bike. Like that's just like like I said, it's my default setting. I'd go ride my bike, either the BMX or like my dirt jumper or like a fixed gear road bike, whichever one. Like I just <laughs> want to go out and ride a bike. Um, Fuck yeah. Yeah. Man. So, but I just want to make sure I don't do it. I do it for like to have fun, not like, not for a project. Yeah, not for a project. And like I have not, I very rarely, if any time, like film anymore. It's just like I just want to, if I'm ride my bike, I just want to have fun. Like, I've I've been through that stage of like hardcore riding where I want to like document my progression and like on my YouTube I have like ten years plus of videos of like my that can pretty much document my progression, which like there's tricks from like years ago which I've never duplicated, which is kind of cool. So each video has its like differences and cool tricks, but uh, you know, same time it's like I'm kind of like not over that over it for like right now. I just need to take some time and just. Just do me and like not like I just put so much time and effort into that and I was stressed and I took it out on my bike basically. <laughs> so it was like just needed some time away. But uh Totally yeah. man. Fuck yeah. Well, was there anything else you wanted to bring onto the podcast tonight? Just people like do whatever you want to do. Like whatever you love, whatever you're passionate about. I, yeah, I implore people to find something that they're absolutely 100% passionate about, something that they can pour themselves into. And that's what like what biking has always been for me. And you do that, and no matter what people say, because remember people saying when I was younger, like, oh, why, why are you doing that? It's a silly tricks on a bike. Like, what's it going to do for you? And it's like, well, I stayed at it. I took a lot, made a lot of sacrifices over the years to just simply do what I love to do in my free time. And eventually it took me to some really cool places. And, um, and that's, and that's, yeah, that's something I, I just like want for everyone. Just like find something that you love and just go at it and keep doing it. No matter like what people say, because you love it. Like it'll, it'll find a way you'll, you'll find a way to like make it work. And, uh, or who knows, maybe the opportunity can find you. Cause that's, Kind of just kind of happenstance with some of my situations, like that random phone call when I was a teacher. And like, hey, you want to go to Santa Cruz? And 
do a show. Fuck so, yeah, Joel. Yeah. Badass. Thank you. Badass, brother. I appreciate you having me on this podcast. I've never done anything like Dude, this. Dude, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a fucking pleasure talking to you. Yeah. Crazy <laughs> ass stories. <laughs> no problem. It's, I, I like to share these stories. Um, Cause it's like, yeah, it's just very unique. We'll definitely go out check, check out Joel's videos. Cause these things are really fucking cool to watch. And I uh, hope you guys have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much, Joel. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful human for making it all the way through the podcast. You are a gem. Thank you.